everybody. This is AJ, and this is the Unnecessary Podcast. If you're new to the Unnecessary Podcast, it's an open, free-flowing conversation between friends. Today, we're joined by our co-host, Lee. What's up, Lee? I didn't have your volume drink, on there, Lee. Drinking my coffee here. Oh, you're oh, drinking just, your uh, drinking my coffee here. There we go. And what can you enlighten us onto what this song is? Oh yes, yeah, so that would be my uh, side project, electronic music. Uh, it's called Haunted Robot. Is the name of the project. Um, so I just basically I I, uh, I use Ableton, and I don't really know how to use it well. So I just kind of like figured out my own way of using it, mm. and I made a whole bunch of weird songs. And they all, <laughs> there's the common storyline that runs through them all is that there are robots from the moon that are secretly taking over the earth and only the bees uh, know that it's happening and are trying to stop them. And that's why the bees are actually dying off. It's not pesticides. It's the robots from the moon, obviously. Oh, shit. Um, so they, the bees can hear the vibrations. And uh, so in, in each of my songs, I, I think it's all on SoundCloud under Haunted Robot. But for each of the songs, uh, there's kind of like two, two storylines going on in each song. There's the robot side, which is kind of like sounds more industrial, mm-hmm. which is how the song starts. Kind of like a... <laughs> kind of like pistons moving, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then you have the more organic bees, mm. the bee sounds where it's like quick, quick... Yeah, yeah, that's like, that's the, uh, the worker bees telling the queen that, that stuff is going on. And then oh, the queen shit. responds in the next verse. It's a little bit higher pitched. I love this. And, uh, so that's how all the songs kind of go. Well, it touches on like, it's like a great science fiction song because it touches on real elements like, like be right. Colony die off or whatever they call it. Um, and you're, you're adding this awesome sci-fi element to it. Fucking great. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> have you ever heard of uh, run the jewels? The hip hop? Yes. Heard, heard of them. Don't, I'm sure I've heard their songs, but don't know them by, by like song name. Yeah. They're awesome. I mean, it's, uh, it's two hip hop guys. One's killer Mike and one's LP, but, um, okay. I know killer Mike. Yeah. And so they've been making music for like six or seven years, maybe a little longer. And, um, LP is That's from New- Bernie Sanders. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they, they do. Oh, I watched a YouTube video where they got together because of adult swim which is crazy. Oh, cool. Yeah. Some big producer on adult swim, like new killer Mike. And he got the two together, which is crazy. He's like, oh, let me uh, throw it on a beat for you here. Killer Mike. Well, I love how adult, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I love how adult swim is like, so working class. So populist. Trendy. Yeah. It's <laughs> woke. Um, well, okay. So yeah, I think you would love LP's beats. Cause it's, there's like, it's like noisy and, and, um, kind of old school, um, but I'm gonna, I gotta play you just like this one. I'm just gonna turn it white. Right, bro? So, anyway, that's that's Very uh, 80s, like arcadey. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 raw, it's rough. Um, yeah, it's really cool, and uh, he's definitely inspired by they called the boom bap era. You will of hip hop. Boom bop, boom boom boom. That's right. That's right. Exactly. That's right. It's very. It's a very Makes great sense. great description of that musical style. Yeah, yeah. Very uh, Razel, all that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but there's actually uh, the hardest part about making electronic music is just finding high quality sounds or creating high quality sounds to use as like the pieces of the puzzle. So there's a, a cool website I found. It's called, I think it's splice.com or splice something.com. Um, but they have like subscription models where they give you the choice between like, you know, thousands of different um, drum sounds and instrument sounds recorded by real people. Um, and like produced really well in the studio. So they're just there for you to use. Um, and they, they go by like credits and you pay for credits and then like one credit equals one sound or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought, I thought that was a really cool resource because that's the hardest part. Just, you know, finding good sounds to use. Otherwise it sounds like real eight bit, like Atari kind of sounds. Yeah. It's versus right. like what the run the jewels that you just showed me. Yeah. Right. Right. You need samples, right? You can't just go yep. with uh, these self-made like 808 type sounds. Yeah, yeah, they get tired after a while. Yeah, um, uh, there's a cool. It's called Rhythm Roulette. Uh, is it's called? I'm thinking way too fast. Um, there's a YouTube channel um, called Mass Appeal, and they have kind of this series called Rhythm Roulette, where they take a producer like LP and they blindfold him and they go to a record store and he picks out five random records and he makes a beat out of them. <laughs> it's really funny. That's awesome. And you said Ableton is the name of the program you use? Yeah, yeah. Ableton is an amazing program. I got it on a 30-day free trial um, and just tried to make as many songs as I could. I made like five or six or something like that. Um, and then when COVID hit, they extended their 30 day free trial to be like four months so that everybody could make music for free during quarantine, which was a cool thing that Ableton did. Um, but I mean, for, for my money, Ableton is the greatest program. It's like, it's almost like Photoshop for sounds. Cool. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Um, did you ever use Fruity Loops or FL? Studio, as people call it. Um, that was a little before my time. It like came up before my time, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, they still have it. I have not used them, but I've heard good things. Yeah, people still use FL Studio. Um, yeah, I made a beat with my my friend's uh, son, uh, like a like last year, because uh, we were just bored during the day, and I was like, "What do you want to like? What what do you what have you always want to do?" He's like, "Make music." And I was like, "Well." I don't play an instrument and neither do you, but we can make music right now on the computer. So it's pretty, it was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh. Um, and did I want to hear about three stable? Um, you had one recently, is that correct? Yeah, it was, uh, almost a, exactly a month ago now, You're uh, but it was acclaimed. awesome. It, it went really well. We, we sold out every three stable this year, even though there are only two. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a good, it's like a good niche market. It's smaller events with majority same people. And then like, you know, those, those people will bring their friends and then they start coming to them. And then that's how it's just been building. Mm -hmm. And it's Um, all music or do you, you have a magician or what's going on? um, We have had a magician as like a um, master of ceremonies kind of thing where he's introducing the bands and all that kind of stuff and helping with the changeover and, you know, doing magic in between the band sets. That was pretty cool. Uh, shout out to Magic Mike, not the stripper, the magician. Uh, <laughs> Could be. But uh, at, at this one, uh, we just kind of kept it simple because uh, I think the restriction on outdoor gatherings is 250 in Pennsylvania. And then right before Three Civil happened, they upped it 
to 250 or what was it 20% capacity, 25% capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got in right around there, 250, 300, and that was like a good sweet spot. Yeah. And, um, and then, and then as people leave, you know, if people come and then they leave Friday, then we can let more people in and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a good, a good, great lineup of bands and everybody, like we had zero issues the entire weekend, which is really nice. It got mm-hmm. pretty chilly at night Yeah, on Friday and Saturday. It went down to like 42 or 40, something like that. And this was um, in October. Like yeah, this was, uh, October. 17th and 18th, 16th, 17th, 18th. Gotcha. I can't think of the dates right now, but like basically a month ago. Yeah. Um, but Thursday, that was like the last day of summer. Basically it went up to like <laughs> 75 mm-hmm. and it was like 62 at night. Just perfect weather. Yeah. Yeah. And but, yeah, it was I, a great time. Well, I think that's so important for like the community during COVID to like have something to do outdoors. Um, to like, you know, I, I, I'm so supportive of, of people gathering outdoors. Um, like all the studies uh, have shown in terms of like super spreader events, uh, you know, when they study like hundreds of them, they'll, they'll, they'll have one in the study of hundreds of indoor and outdoor events. One would, would end up being an indoor super spreader event. So it's, it's so rare that, I mean, one would be an outdoor super spreader event. They're all indoors. Every super spreader event is indoors. Right, right. So, yeah, we, yeah, it's we so, actually so had a, a few people who got sick afterwards and got tested and tested negative. So out of all the people that were there, we had zero reported cases of COVID. That's awesome. And it's been a month, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, all the data showed that that's the big, de- it's like mask wearing and indoor, indoor versus outdoor and um, if you can only do one, do the outdoor. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, like outdoor yeah, it, outdoor without mask seems to be safer than indoor with mask. Even yes. though the CDC, like public health officials, it seems in 2020 have really failed us in terms of like sending an appropriate message. You, I don't know if you remember the great mask swap, the ma- great mask reversal of, of 20, February 2020. When like for the first, yeah, it was pretty month, amazing, right? Ever they were like, no, don't wear masks, and then they were like, actually, wear the masks. We were we were lying to you because we thought that you would. The, the public health officials were saying like, we thought you, the public, the the general public, was going to go out and buy up all the supply of N95 masks, which we probably would have done, um, and and <laughs> and, there, and therefore we lied to you and said that it's not helpful. And, but then it ruined their message, as you remember, a month later when they were like, actually, we should be wearing cloth masks, making cloth masks. If you have N95, that's cool. Um, and, and then it just as the months went on, it became more and more apparent how the aerosols and the breath coming out of you was so important to, to block even part of it. So they really failed us. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't great. And I mean, I feel like we've, even though the cases are going up now, I feel like, you know, as humans, we've done a fairly decent, okay job of kind of turning it around. And, you know, most people I see were wearing masks now. Um, and I live in a, I live in PA. I mean, it's pretty Republican out where I live. And like you go into a store, everybody's wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think everybody's doing a fairly good job. I mean, obviously it's the younger people who don't, you know, care mm-hmm. who are just going to parties and, you know, you don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife was going to go to a, uh, we were going to go to a friend's giving next weekend. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and maybe like three or four days ago, I was like, you know, maybe that's, you know, there's like a thousand new, new cases every single day. Like maybe we shouldn't be going into a house with like a whole bunch of people coming from different places. Yeah. Maybe not right now. So, you know, I feel like everybody is kind of deciding like, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe we chill for, you know, a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Got to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Eva and I are going down to Thanksgiving in Santa Fe to see Eva's mom, but we are doing like a hard quarantine for two weeks. We started on Wednesday. and Yeah, um, yeah. It's a good, good move. Yeah, because she's immunosuppressed and older. So we were like, we want to be with her. And it's like, let's just cut it off. So we got two weeks worth of food in the house. We've never had this much food. And um, we're not able to see her sister and their kids. Like we, it's just four of us at Thanksgiving instead of, you know, 10 or 12 or 20 and it sucks. Um, but eh, I'm, I'm so I'm pretty content like with my life. I'm like fucking whatever. Also it's her year to do Thanksgiving. So I'm like, that's cool. And then for Christmas, we're probably going to drive back East. Oh, nice. That's just cool. Avoid people. Yeah. Um, but no, this shit's crazy. So I like, there, there's all this stuff about vaccines that I'd love to get into. But um, the one thing about the vaccines I was reading is that even if they come up with a vaccine, just like with the flu, um, it's not a guarantee that, you know, it'll it'll cover it. Um, but but because COVID is so new, there's like some crazy mutations going on. So in Denmark, COVID mutated to go into the, the mink uh, animal population. <laughs> and... That strain um, may or apparently has already jumped back into a human strain as a mutation. And as a result, Denmark is calling 17 million mink uh, after discovering all of this because they they're doing it. They're sacrificing. It's one percent of their GDP and they're sacrificing it for the good of the globe. Um, Like that's fucking crazy. This shit's not. And then there's something called the Texas strain. Apparently there's another mutation. So nuts. Who knows? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's probably not good. It's not, not great, Bob. Oh, probably not great. And then there's these polls, but of course in, tw- in November, 2020 polling seems to be uh, the least trustworthy thing uh, in, in America, but based on polls, um, it's down to only like 48% of Americans said they would get a vaccine for COVID because there's been so much distrust created. Um, it's just kind of maximized the level of distrust that people would already have. It's really inflammatory. Yeah. I'm glad uh, that Xbox and PlayStation just released new consoles because that's going to calm down a lot of people who have a lot of uh, rage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't I th- know what to do with. I thought sports coming back was a huge uh, boost to the mental health and stability of this country. Like just yeah. people being able to fucking put on something that's new and like familiar, you know, I, that, I thought that was a real remedy. Yeah. Like instead of wearing a blue hat or a red hat, you're wearing like a, you know, Eagles hat, <laughs> whatever it is, you know? Yeah. That's a great point too. Yeah. It brings people together in a different, in an apolitical way. And, 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 quite literally, instead of going out and marching in the fucking streets, you have something to do. Um, I was joking during the, the George Floyd and, and um, Black Lives Matter protests, which, by the way, they should change the name to All Lives Matter and, and steal the conversation from, from racists. 
but I digress. When we were doing those pro- <laughs> protests, I was joking that um, there's a large percentage of people that would have been at brunch right now if COVID wasn't happening, but there's no brunch going on. So they're, they're out here protesting. Um, and so I think, yeah, football has basketball and baseball have helped. Yeah. I think it's, it's crazy how the music industry has like, I feel like it's had the opposite effect where music has become much more secondary. Mm. Um, maybe it's because of YouTube and all these channels that can, uh, YouTube is, is the craziest revolution since like the printing press, just mm. free video from anywhere in the world for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, I feel like informational videos and long form podcasts and stuff have overtaken the music industry and people aren't looking for music as much because so much of it exists. I feel like they're looking more for information because the world is so chaotic. Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. I'm still looking for new music. Like it must be a smaller percentage of people looking for new music, right? Um, Just how back in the day, like 60 million people would watch the Brady Bunch, which is a terrible TV show. (laughs) And, and, and people were starving for it. Uh, And these days there's so much else out there. Like you said, podcasts. So maybe not as people are starving for, I'm starving for it, but I don't, I don't buy albums, obviously. Yep. I'm going to listen. I'm going to find awesome new songs and listen to them like 40, 50, hundred times while working out. And yep. ho- hopefully they get a few fucking pennies, but it's unfortunate. You know, I, I would buy concert tickets is how I would support the artists. You know, I'd go to six. I said four a year on a previous podcast, I think, but I think I'd probably go to like eight a year something like that. Okay. It's a good amount. I used to, I mean, back before COVID, you know, in well, the old times. Well, because I'd go to a couple with Eva. Like, Eva and I went to Joan Jett and Hart, which was fucking awesome. That's cool. And also L. King was the opener, and L. King is pretty dope. Um, L. King, randomly, Rob Schneider's daughter, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, That's who she is? <laughs> yeah, L. King. L. King is like a, a rockin' kind of country rock um, musician. She makes, like, really good stuff, and um, she happens to be... Rob Schneider's daughter. And it's like, you don't want to, if you're like trying to start a music career, I don't think that, I don't think that being Rob Schneider's daughter is like necessarily going to help. I don't know. This is her. It's fucking cool. Wolves are back. They've come to play. I thought I heard your father. Anyway. Rob um, Schneider is the hot chick. <laughs> that's right. He did turn himself into. <laughs> A magic lightning bolt turned him into uh, a pop singer. Yeah, she's fucking cool. It was so cool. So we went to this concert at the Pepsi Center, um, the big arena in Denver, and we did not know that L King was going to be the opener. Like, they didn't really advertise it. And we show up, and Eva was, like, so excited because she really likes her. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking great. Um, and I was just going because I'm like, this, this sounds like good music. Like, why the hell not? Eva's paying go yeah that's a cool surprise i mean the first time i heard umphrey's live was by accident they opened for dave and they were just playing when i walked hmm. in yeah no dave matthews band op- uh introduced me to music that i ended up liking more than dave matthews band i don't i umphrey's i don't know if they were one of them um because i think kushner introduced me to them when we were in high school but, um, yeah you introduced me to umphrey's and then 
that was, and then I saw them live by accident. I had no idea like who they were really. Mm-hmm. That was in the early days. Mm-hmm. And then I think you went with me to my first Umphrey's concert at Penn's Peak, or not Penn's Peak, mm-hmm. um, the Sherman Theater in Stroudsburg. Mm-hmm. McClay was there. You were there for that, weren't you? Um, I don't remember if I was at that one. I, I, we were, we definitely went to, um, Jim Thorpe PA yep. to that yep. really sweet, great shows venue. Um, what a, that's a great venue. And, uh, it seems like uh, yeah. he's enjoyed it. Um, do you, rem- do you, did you have any like concert rituals going to a concert as an audience member? I'll give you an example if you need one. I was trying to figure out how to sneak in weed. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Yeah. Cool. Well, like being really nervous about it. Well, I mean, like rationing out your weed was definitely a thing, and yeah, figuring out how to sneak it in. I remember like a guard taking my weed away from an Umphrey's McGee concert at Nokia Theater in New York City. They renamed it. I don't know once now, but um, the I it was in a pack of cigarettes that I had bought, and of course, the first thing he checks is the pack of cigarettes, and I'm like, I'm an idiot. I should just put that in my sock. I'm not checking my sock. Yeah. So anyway, that was a that was a unfortunate it was before everything was legal. um one of my pre-concert rituals was i was it was a, a law with me and my friend mike and our families that you wouldn't play the music of the show you were going to right right would you do that yeah i mean when i was with you guys we did that and i have definitely done that going to see dave on multiple occasions um, yeah, there's kind of a yeah, yeah. mixed, uh, there's mixed opinions on that. You know, it's a, it's a hotly debated topic in the music nerd community, but, but like when you're at home before you leave for the show, we figured like that's open game. Like if you really want to, like if you're so psyched and you want to throw on the red rocks 94 and be like, fucking remember two things, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. go for it. Like fucking go nuts. <laughs> yeah. I could go either way. Yeah. Um, do you have any other thoughts on the vaccine stuff? Um, it's definitely complicated. I mean, I definitely don't want to take a vaccine that's rushed. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a year later, I start breaking out in hives or something. I don't know. Um, but I definitely, you know, my dad had a lung transplant in March. Mm-hmm. And now he's like walking around and talking and stuff. So I put a lot of faith in medical science. Mm-hmm. Uh but obviously there's also a lot of nefarious dealings behind the scenes. Right. It's so funny. I, like empirically science has never been better, right? Medicine has never been more advanced. Uh, yep. However, <laughs> our trust in medicine has probably never been low. never been lower, you know, <laughs> since before the black plague, even then we probably fucking trusted people. I mean, at least we had God. I guess we didn't have science back then. Like we didn't have medicine back then. You had, we had the humors. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, anytime I talk about the pat anything be, uh, before 1950, I use I use the accent, like I'm on the radio, the radio, the transatlantic accent. That's right, transatlantic. <laughs> right. Any it could be the 1400s, and I'll use that. <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm assuming that's how they talk. Uh huh. That's right. <laughs> I assume everyone spoke English with a transatlantic accent mm-hmm. since the Romans. So I was reading about how in the fifties or forties, whenever they first came out with polio, the polio vaccine, um, 
that like a bunch of kids got sick and died or whatever, or adults, like a bunch of people actually got polio, I think, by ac- whoops, we accidentally gave you polio. Like that's a whoopsie <laughs> yeah. daisy. And then they and then they were like, sorry about that, folks. Um, here's the here's the 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 new version two, better than ever, definitely not gonna give you polio. And everybody just lined the fuck up. They were like, have you seen my uncle who is in a wheelchair or my other kid who's deaf or I don't, I don't remember what polio polio fucked up on all kinds of ways, but they still lined up to get their kids vaccinated and, and themselves because they were like, it's worth the risk. Like the science came out that one out of a thousand people died from this vaccine. They were like, fuck it. One out of 400 people die of polio. So I'm taking that risk. We're Life yeah, polio is a beast. We, we become very soft. You know, we're so pampered. I mean, I am. I'm so pampered. Like, it's not like back oh, then definitely. where they were like, shoot me up. <laughs> if I could just give it to me. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's a, basically a disease that they weren't really sure how you got it. And it would just like disfigure people, mess their legs up. And mm-hmm. yeah, just terrible. Uh, there's a, there was a TV show I'm watching where, they they they're in heaven they die and they're in heaven and they meet somebody from like syria like four thousand years ago they're like oh what'd you do to get in heaven he's like i'm saved i saved a bunch of uh saved a bunch of phoenicians (laughs) like and he's like and then and then there's like a moment of silence and he's like it's crazy that like you guys have all these vaccines that you hate so much (laughs) and he was like I would do, I would kill for a vaccine, like any vaccine. <laughs> I'm like, man, life, life did suck back then. It was a very funny scene. Yeah. Um, I think Rockefeller in like the 1920s, his son died mm-hmm. of, was it tuberculosis? I don't know. Something that they have a vaccine for now. Yeah. And it's like, would you rather, would you rather be Rockefeller in the twenties or would you rather be like a middle-class American now? Mm-hmm. And it's like, probably middle-class American now because all the things that we have, you couldn't even imagine in the twenties. Yeah. Um, very true. I mean, there's almost no middle class anymore. So the dwindling part, I would be a part of, um, you, uh, I was reading, I'm glad you brought up middle-class. Uh, I was reading this article from the world economic forum and they were talking, it's an article that says meet the precariat, the new global class fueling the rise of populism and the consumer worker. I think that's essentially what it is. Yeah. It's like everything from an Amazon fulfillment person to a a service industry person to an Uber or Lyft driver. It's somebody who has, who doesn't have like, like stable work hours for necessarily. Like they're saying like there's a psychology and a stigma uh, that goes along with like not owning your own time. um, So to speak. And, and like not having, that also goes along with like not having reliable employment. Like if you're a seasonal worker um, and it's like not, it means like not having non-salary benefits. Like you don't have any type of pension or you don't have like, it's total like, and we call that, we call that like part of the working class today. You know what I mean? Like we lump in this giant working class and um, it's so different these days. And so the, they actually have a visual of a triangle instead of upper middle or lower class, they have six classes. And so like the top class is elites. And then like the, the second to top class is the salariat S A L A R I A T. I don't know. Or like a salaried person. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And then there's proficiency, 
I prefer Salarino. <laughs> yes. And I, that's like somebody like Eva who has like a federal government job. And so salariates have like, like awesome benefits, you know, like pensions and like, like health bennies and like, um, you know, what we would call like upper middle class, I guess. But it's, it's really just like a step below elite. And then most people are like proficients <laughs> who are like engineers or um, somebody who have like a specialty. And then there's people who are like quote unquote old working class. And those are like union jobs, manufacturing um, mm-hmm. stuff that we traditionally associated with the quote unquote working class, um, like blue collar. And then we have this precariats below them, you know, which is this more <laughs> below them, more transient, <laughs> um, you know, unsalaried, maybe 1099 and stuff. And it's just this great article um, that that goes into it, and then below them is the uh, the unemployed. Um, but I can I may I read a quote to you from this article, sir? Sure. So it says the precariat faces deepening poverty traps as governments have become have as governments have moved to means testing, conditional social assistance, and workfare. If you're in the precariat and become unemployed and manage to obtain benefits, you face a marginal tax rate of over 80% in taking the sort of low-wage jobs you are likely to be offered. It may be over 100%. Then you are called rude names if you decline to take such jobs. No member of the salariat would get out of bed if faced by such tax rates, except perhaps to take to the streets to protest. But this is what politicians have forced on the pre precariat. Um, you know, they're essentially saying, like, I love that line, like, what what the salariate class wouldn't get out of bed for in terms of like being taxed and like how much you have to work to versus how much you get. Um, they would go to the streets and protest, but like the precariate is expected to work under these conditions. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, think about like the minimum, minimum wage. I mean, even at $15 an hour, I mean, that's still not a lot of money respective to what you would need to not live paycheck to paycheck. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, what is it like three quarters of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, something like that. It's, it's a ridiculously high number. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Right. Cause if you have a kid, which so many people have like that throws everything, then you're in debt for life, you know, debt slavery. But um, yeah, just being single, you're, you're, you're scratching by and, and you're, you're making ends meet. And you're avoid you're avoiding bankruptcy unless you have a, a health condition, right? So that's tough, man. It's unfair. And and our 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 conception of money is warped, I think. Like, um, because of inflation, um, we think that like forty thousand dollars like I baby boomers will be like, Well, I made forty thousand dollars out of college and I was fine. And it's like, dude, forty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty is is literally eighty thousand dollars today. So like right out of college, people were making a fuckload more. Um, this article explains like there's more there's more people with elite education and elite expectations, but not enough fucking good jobs to go around. Or, or you know, um, everybody's working lower than their education, or a lot of people are. Like it's fucking not good. This is a depressing view of society I've had on this Saturday morning. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then it's like even what is education? Like, how do you how do you even really quantify or qualify that? All mm. people from different universities being taught by different people, different information. So it's like, what is what is education, and what is it? What does it mean for your usefulness? I guess. 
Right. Like yeah. I have a degree in psychology. Like what, what is, what is my usefulness of that? I don't know. Right. And you also have to rely on networks of privilege, you know, even right when you get your bachelor's degree, like that's not, that doesn't Definitely. mean you're automatically get, get your setup. For that's life. the Penn state network, the Penn state connection. Right. right, right. Yeah. So helpful. Um, yeah, <laughs> it probably has been, but um, I mean, I'm telling the younger members of, of my family and Eva's family, if you're smart enough to go to get your bachelor's degree, then you should just assume that you're going for your master's degree. And it, it is better for planning purposes in so many ways. Like you can understand finances better. So maybe you'll go to a cheaper bachelor's degree school. If you'll understand your aspirations better, maybe that means you go to a school that's easier and you get straight A's so you can go to master's degree and challenge yourself there. Like for the good job, like I'm just telling them like you, when you get your bachelor's doesn't guarantee you anything these days um, because of how fucked up our society is. That's true. I do think I got an amazing life education at Penn state, just, you know, being there and doing all the things and, you know, living the different lives that we all live through college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I chose Penn state ultimately cause it was so big with like 40,000 undergraduates. And I was like, with a sample size this big, there's going to be people for me, whatever that kind of person is, I will probably be able to find at least a couple of them. And then also like the learning experiences and the types of professors and types of classes, since it's so big, I'm sure they'll have what I want. Um, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself and it, it turned out that way. Like, yeah, I, like you said, I learned so much and also Penn state's like a pretty conservative school compared to other universities, you know, like when we went there, because it's so sport focused, maybe probably. And Pennsylvania, I mean, well, I would say politically it's like really moderate, right? Like really balanced when we went there. Yeah. Um, I graduated in 2008 and yeah, it seemed like there was equal amounts of, there was a little bit more Obama people cause Obama was super popular, but there was like a lot of Republicans and conservatives. Um, and I think that's reflective of Pennsylvania cause you know, you're mostly Pennsylvania residents going there. Um, but I appreciated that, you know, also my family's super conservative and I'm a socialist. So I'm used to the other side. Yeah, I wonder if my skin was a different color, if I would have had a different experience at Penn State. I'm sure I would have. For sure, man. The the, I mean, if you were, especially if you were like a member of the Black Caucus, like those guys got death threat letters. And um, like I, I knew some of those people from sociology classes and they were getting death threats from the white supremacist groups out of Altoona. And like there was like um, uh, Molotov cocktails thrown in, in buildings uh, about once a semester and you didn't really wasn't publicized, you know? Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Fucking shit was crazy, bro. Um, I always say I was, I'm so proud of Steve DiFilippo for coming into college from Catholic school and, and Catholic upbringing as like a pro-life conservative self-defined. And like within a semester, as he said, within a year, it seemed like within a semester he had changed who he was and evolved into a person who was like pro-choice and pro-Obama and um, really more progressive. And it was really, really cool to see, see that. Yeah. I mean, Steve was my pledge master. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I was terrified of him. Yeah. Well, he's tall and he has a steely eyed look and he's a little yeah. bit, 
gravelly I mean, kind of voice. Yeah, and you could see him doing something crazy. Yeah, flying off handsome the fella. You could see him doing something he would regret. <laughs> and that's <laughs> really the moment kind of stuff. Yeah, that's the ultimate fear. I think when you're when you're looking at somebody is like, unless they're a psychopath and they don't have regrets, it's like, is this person going to do something that they're going to regret? <laughs> Ultimately, <laughs> yeah. ultimately what is he just gonna is. like snap and punch me in the face i, I don't right. really know that's right <laughs> is, is this something he's gonna be like publicly atoning for in some sort of <laughs> court of law or public but opinion I feel, I feel like steve could be a great actor because the part that he played as the pledge master it was like a full metal jacket you know what i mean like i was on my toes 24 7 for an entire semester just you know just terrified and i didn't you know in the back of my head, I knew that no harm was going to come to me because that's just not the environment that we were in. And also, I was friends with Steve when I was uh, when I was rushing beforehand. Mm-hmm. So like he was one of the fir- he was one of the first people I met who was who was like friendly to me in the fraternity. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. then he was like, and then when I decided to pledge, because you know I'd been friends with Danny Cohen for many years, mm-hmm. he was like, just so you know, like. I'm your pledge master, so we're not going to be able to be friends anymore. <laughs> he said that to me in in some kind of words like that. And I was just like, oh, okay. And then little did I know the terror that awaited me. Yeah, that's right. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. he turned it on. He would be a good, like, certain kind of actor, you know? Not sure uh, about was, Steve's real. Yeah, yeah. He, he had these, like, speeches and just these monologues, just, like, pacing back and forth in front of us. It was it was great theater. Which is funny because as his, as a person who was not pledging the fraternity at the time, I was already a brother, watching our dear friend Steve play the part of this, like, tyrant, this, like, unhinged, like, <laughs> dictatorial, you know, taskmaster who was, like, grilling you guys for failing quizzes or not cleaning up the house properly. Um, we were, like, holding back our fucking laughs because Steve is, like... A, one of them, as you know, one of the most like warm, lovable people ever. Yeah, seriously. And B, like, he's not particularly, he's not particularly, mm, I don't know. Organized? <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, he's, he's not really going to get the job done if you really, need, <laughs> if you need a dictator. I don't know if Steve's your man. <laughs> like, and that's good. That's a good thing. But, yeah. but I don't think, yeah, I don't think the, uh, the will, the will to, to really follow through was always going to be there. And so we're just laughing our asses off. Like, this is hilarious. I think Steve's going to, yeah, give him the Oscar for that performance. I mean, it, it wasn't just one day, it was literally an entire semester, you know, four months or whatever, however many weeks it is, 16 weeks. At all culminating in Hell Week, where we all lived in the house, uh-huh. and it was just twenty four seven chaos as the Price is Right theme song played from the attic. Yeah, that was fun. I liked the final week of of pledging our fraternity, where you had to live in the house. Oh, for a week. yeah, super fun. Um, well, for my pledge week, um, we had like I think sixteen or eighteen people, and um, Kyle and I were the only two that like weren't sleeping. Everybody else was like sneaking off and sleeping. Um, and you weren't allowed to sleep. Those were the rules. And Kyle and I like took the rules very seriously. And so by like Wednesday we were like delirious. And then we started finding out that everybody else was like sleeping and we're like, wait, what you're sleeping too. What the fuck? And so we're like, fuck it. 
So yeah, man, fucking started sleeping. <laughs> but um, yeah, we did a. I remember waking you up. You're sleeping in the attic, and the Price Is Right theme song is playing, and I'm like, oh man, this is so much fun. I could just walk upstairs and like yell it, yell at Lee. I would like yell at you and be like, ah, oh, wake up. You'd be like, oh, what? And then I'd be like, I don't know. Just go back to sleep. <laughs> I don't know if I'd actually have anything for you. Those are great times. Uh huh. I remember like having to sleep in the attic and, and, or it'd be like, it'd be like four or 5 PM, like the, like the middle of the day. And, um, there, like I said, I pledged with like 18 kids and we're supposed to be just going to class. And then after class coming straight home to back to the fraternity house to like clean or like yell that it is not a privilege to live in this esteemed house. And I will, I don't remember the rest. Honor and something it always. <laughs> yeah. We had to yell things and wear ridiculous clothing. But at this, on this particular day, there was like no pledges in the house. It was hell week at 4 p.m. And there was like 15 of us missing. And they were like, all right, something's like clearly these idiots are not doing their duty. So they came up to the attic and they're like looking for people. And I had I was hiding behind like a ton of shit. You know, the attic was a place where people stored stuff. And I was hiding behind like hockey equipment and just like nestled like like they could not find me. So I was just like, this is great. Look all you want. Not going to find me. I have a great, great memory when I was living in East Halls, the freshman dorms. Um, and it was sometime mid semester and I'm pledging. And I just remember Steve saying that we had to be available 24 seven, you know, for whatever. And everyone's like, yeah, okay. So I'm sleeping in my freshman dorm and at three something in the morning, I just get a phone call and it's from Steve and he goes, what the hell do you think you're doing? <laughs> I was like, I was, <laughs> I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping. And he, and he just tells me, he's like, you better get your ass up and get me McDonald's and get me, he, he gave me his order. He's like, get this, this, this. And he goes, if a single fry is missing, I will know. I will see it in your eyes. Don't touch a single fry. <laughs> you know, we were only allowed to eat at the one time in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at three in the morning, that McDonald's was 24 hours. I literally got my clothes on and ran as fast as I could from East Halls. It's like. Probably half a mile down to that. It's more. It's more, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's probably more. I just really ran as fast as I could down at McDonald's and got his food and brought it to him. <laughs> Did he let you eat any? No, no, no. Oh my God. <laughs> You're like, maybe this is a test, and if I pass it, he'll give me some fries. Nope. Yep. <laughs> Fuck nope. you, pledge. Jesus yep. Christ. Yeah. That is brutal. That's abuse, but also not. It's like... <laughs> It's really psychological torture. I don't know. It's just sort, like sort of kind of it's, it's definitely emotional abuse. You know what I mean? Like it's not physical. Abuse. We, we thought it was acceptable <laughs> to like heavily emotionally traumatize. We're like, we're not going to physically touch you. We're just going to like <laughs> try super hard to be like sociopaths and like break you down. That's fucking messed up. Like what the fuck were we thinking, man? Yeah, it's it's like uh, the Spartans. They would send the the ten year old kids out to kill a wolf in the wild. It's like same kind of thing, you know. I, you come back and you killed the wolf, and you're like, all right, now I'm a man. I guess that's worse because, like, at <laughs> yeah, least we were uh, at least we were eighteen, and they were making us. <laughs> yeah, true. Making our own decisions, kind of. Oh my god, it's unbelievable. Um, 
this, yeah, this, <laughs> the going back to the, I keep thinking about the vaccine thing. Um, the lack of trust with like our institutions, like whether it's like the media or like any politician um, and mixed with like people's um, neglect or refusal to like think with any level of sophistication is very alarming to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think uh, society has become very compartmentalized and it's like, okay, like vaccine technology, how many people in the world truly know how to make a vaccine? You know what I mean? What is it? A thousand people? Okay. More than that? Who actually know how to make a vaccine yeah. for whatever. You know what I mean? The, the polio vaccine. Like, how many people really know how to make that? Mm. So if, if all of our information stores get wiped out and, you know, half of society is killed in a meteor strike or whatever it is, and those people are all gone, well, now all of a sudden we don't have the technology uh, to vaccinate for polio anymore. This is a Joe Rogan uh, mind uh, experiment. <laughs> I don't know if you realize. Yeah, that. yeah, I'm sure. yeah, yeah. So it's the same for everything: We're making computers, making cell phones, mm. food production. Right. I don't know how to you do any I mean? of that. No, I'm no. We're exactly fucked. the average person doesn't even know how to survive outside their house for a week. Right. Yeah. No, you can't rely on me for anything except entertainment. Mm-mm. You too. That's right? it, baby. You can rely on us for entertainment. That's what we'll handle when uh, when apocalypse the apocalypse happens. But yeah, you're right. We'd be fucked. And I think the end of that Joe Rogan thought experiment is like then a hundred generations would go by and people would start developing technology again. And then they would discover like lost cities and lost technology. And they would think that aliens came or something like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a possibility somewhere in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, aliens are definitely real, right? We're in agreement on that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. It's just, there's too much shit out there. There's too much space stuff which i mean bob lazar he's he tells it bob lazar every time bob he lazar, say, every time you say it. that name i say that <laughs> wow, wow yeah wow, wow, that's great <clears throat> yeah right yeah i've had i've had my couple of ufo experiences really really oh yeah i, I have a picture of one on uh facebook uh, i was driving in the middle of the day on the highway uh-huh. and there's trees on both sides. I'm driving through, driving through. Then all of a sudden the trees open up and hundreds of feet in the air, like so high that I can't, you know, it, it would be an airplane or nothing at that point. I just see this giant black square in the sky. It's kind of like more like a, a off, like a trapezoid kind of square. It's kind of like tilted to one side, like a cinnamon toast crunch piece. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was rhombus hanging up rhombus. there in the sky. Yeah, yeah, something like that, but not as, uh, yeah, a little bit more towards the square side. Yeah, it's on Facebook. I'll find it and I'll send it to you. Did you, like, go home and Um, look up to see if other people saw it? um, I posted it on Facebook immediately and was like, uh, this is what I just saw in the sky. Somebody help me, something like that. And and literally, I'm I'm driving on the highway, and I'm just watching it. I just see it up there. It's not moving. It's a giant black square in the sky. It's not moving pulled over and got a video and got abducted. Uh, yeah, I mean, that might have happened afterwards. I don't know. As far as I can remember, uh, I took a high-res photo right. as I was driving, and then the trees came on both sides again. I was driving through, and then when I came out to the next clearing, it was gone. Jesus. But, I mean, I watched it in the sky for 
over a minute. That's cool. I've never had anything, any sighting, any, nothing paranormal, no, no sightings, but I believe, I believe in the aliens for sure. Um, yeah, I want to look up what, what town were you in? Um, I'm not sure. I was driving. Yeah, I have no idea. It was just a two lane highway in one direction. Well, you hit on something else that's fucked up is like, which bugs me out when I get high, which is all the time. Um, if <laughs> <laughs> you'll never know if your memory was wiped. I mean, that's like pretty standard in, 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 in inherent in the fact that your memory was wiped was that you won't know that it was wiped, but that to me is a terrifying prospect. Um, going back to the conspiracy stuff of, and like, you can't trust anybody or anything like you can't trust that your memory wasn't wiped cause you don't know. So maybe you did get abducted motherfucker, but I don't think, I don't think you did. I don't think they give a shit about you. Um, there are like in the North, in the Pacific Northwest, I, w- I was reading them all about this, um, amongst fa- the farm, the farming community, like the cattle rancher and like agricultural community. It's like a foregone conclusion that aliens routinely come and like suck out all the insides from the, the cow from like a couple cows. Um, they call them like cow mutilations. Um, and yeah, sometimes, sometimes they're just like deflated. Like there's no blood. There's no like incision marks. They're just like, all their insides are completely out. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they all know that it's aliens. And, uh, and quite frankly, they, they don't want to, to tell people that it is uh, because they know the ridicule that there's like a stigma on your farm. If you become one of these people. Oh How, yeah. However, for like insurance reasons, they have to tell them what, what, what like what they think happened. And they're like, I think a fucking alien fucking like, I didn't do this shit. <laughs> they're like, well, do you think yeah, it was you a neighbor? Inside out of a cow, mister? Yeah, and they're like, well, do you think it was a neighbor? Yeah, a neighbor from Pleiades, you fuck. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Are you listening, Sheriff Yokel? So you have any enemies? Alright, I found the picture. Um, so I can send this to you. Oh, this is gonna creep me out. Just uh, a dick pic. Is it are you am I gonna get Rickrolled? Never gonna give you up. <laughs> no, this is the real thing. The real and this is, a, I have the original photo, which is, this is all the way zoomed in. Um, and the original photo, like you could barely make it out until you zoomed in. It was so high quality, uh-huh. which I was like, I better get a fucking not, I better get a high quality version of this photo of some type of alien ship in the sky. Yeah. It's too bad. He didn't get a video of it. Um, well, if our civilization, yeah, this was, this was, oh, sorry, you go. I was going to say, if our civilization falls, you know, this audio file will be what the aliens can use to recreate what our civilization was like. Yeah. I just sent you the, uh, picture, just screenshotted it off my Facebook photos. That's weird. I got a message saying the CIA would like to talk with you now. <laughs> <laughs> they would like a word. Yeah, that's a that's a black square. And and because of how pictures work, like I feel like things always look smaller in the pictures, so I'm sure that looked big. Right? Yeah, I mean it was, this was all this is my camera all the way zoomed in. I I took the picture and zoomed all the way in. Um and this is as close as the zoom could get. So I mean, it was big. Yeah. And it was high up. That's fucked up, bro. 
Well, yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, I mean, they're real. What are you gonna do about it? You know, there's nothing, nothing that we can do. <laughs> yeah, like you look, like at the, you look at that picture, and it's like, well, what is it? Like, I don't know. Is it a uh, <laughs> like? There's no, there's nothing that I could say that that might be other than a giant black square in the right. sky. Also, I think there is something that we we could and should do about it, which would be to like unite as a global democratic society so that we can like get our shit together because there's other people with other interests out there who presumably are like more like capable of us of destruction. And so it's like, we should probably get our shit together. Like I think it could be, it would be a good thing uh, that would unify us or we'd, or it'd be the thing that destroy us. But, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And you know, I think it, it could unify us, but right now it's not like I can convince people of my globalists, democratic socialist vision by saying that aliens are real. You know, I don't think that's a, convincing argument for my globalist democratic socialist vision wouldn't you say yeah i think that we've had the conversation before about how there's the conspiracy theory that the aliens won't contact us until there's one world government because it's like well at this point who would they contact would they contact america the united states would they contact russia they contact china so they're not going to do anything until we are unified one world government true um but I just don't I don't I just don't know if that could ever happen with our current species set up the way it is cuz there's just there's two opposite ways of seeing things and I mean look at the divide in America that's one you know what I mean that's one country the United States of America and it's split 50-50 you know what I mean so you go somewhere like Saudi Arabia or China mm-hmm. or you know Uganda mm-hmm. it's a little bit different in all these places for so sure. could we could we ever have one world government without severe authoritarian uh, overlords? Probably not. Right. Well, I think the EU was doing a good job of like coming together with, through cooperation, like through con- cooperative action and consensus. Um, I was using the example of Airbus, the company that makes airplanes. Um, they're like a multinational joint, like French Dutch, I think company or something like that. But they started in, I think the sixties out of nothing. There was no company in existence and Boeing and Lockheed Martin, uh, owned and bell like owned all of the airplane production, you know, and sales in, in the world. And the EU was like, if we want to compete like business people in the EU, we're like, if we want to compete with these giant American companies, we're not going to be able to do it alone. Like no French company will ever be as big as Boeing. And so what they did was like they banded together and um, now they sell the most airplanes in the world, more than Boeing and Lockheed. So uh, it's like an Terrible example. name though, Airbus. Like, come on guys. It's so, f- well, that's the thing in Europe. I think in Europe, like they love public transportation. <laughs> so like in <laughs> Europe, like a bus is like a nice clean thing that like all kinds of people take and it's just wonderful. <laughs> it's not like here where it's like, ah, oh, you're taking the bus, you know? <laughs> oh, I am sorry. Like, I'm sorry for you that you have to take the Can bus. Can I help you? Right, right, right. Do you, do you need a, you need a ride? Like we can figure out, (laughs) we can figure out a better situation for you. Whereas in Europe, they're like, this is wonderful. Like I live near the bus. Cause you know, fucking 
public transportation's better there. Give my bus driver a Christmas card. Did you or will you? If I had a bus driver, I'm sure I would. <laughs> and if I was Christian, <laughs> so probably not. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So that's two strikes against you. Two strikes against me. Yeah. Um, speaking of public transportation, I was talking with my city council member and he's, he's huge on public transportation cause he's disabled and, um, and it's cool how he, his politics, um, kind of grow out of his identity and, and like he's a progressive populist and he got into politics, um, as just a citizen, like fighting for, um, disabled rights and, and it's funny, like when you make things better for disabled people, you actually make things better for everybody. <laughs> um, and that's one of the makes sense. It's one of the when I before identity politics became a disgusting, um, corrupt, and race war oriented thing that the mainstream yeah, media it's pretty and, crazy at this point. Yeah, the origins were were not that at all. Like I think what identity politics has become is. Uh, we care more about race and, and gender differences than we do about like the economy and like how we're going to create good middle-class jobs for everybody. And that's like an awful political message in my opinion. But what identity politics started as was identifying with, um, actually it was actually specifically identifying with a poor black girl in the South um, and it was like, think about the identity of a poor black girl in the South. And so like frame your politics from that person, from that identity, from that perspective. And so what you, what you would want if you were a poor black girl in the South would be like probably free healthcare. Like you want to be able to go to the doctor, um, go to a therapist and not, and not have that be tied to what your parents do. Um, and then you also would want like good access to education and, you know, you'd want food and clothing if, uh, if your parents were too destitute to provide that, you know? And so it's a, it's a socialist, obviously <laughs> politics, but I love the idea of like, cause if that would help that little black girl, it's actually going to help everybody. Um, but identity politics, like I said, has become something much uglier. Yeah. I think that once, uh, we can use our trash as a uh, fuel source mm. for 3d printing. Mm. Then we won't have to worry about uh, consumerism as much because instead of, you know, having to donate clothes to kids, they can just 3d print them from like a, you know, part plastic material, stuff like that. I think that's such so a I think we're pretty close to elim eliminating a lot of poverty and stuff like that. Yeah. I think that's such a great point. Like, um, because what, like what I'm describing, like economic exploitation and shit like that, like that's man-made and that can be solved through another man-made thing. And what you're saying, and, and I, what, what the bigger, or I guess more pressing issue is like, um, or more existential issue is that like our planet is dying. Right. And like, we're just producing a lot of waste. Um, like there's microplastics in our ocean and in our water supply. Oh, it's terrible. And it's, it's in everything. Yeah. Like our water is getting messed up and the air is getting messed up and, like global warming aside, like we're just kind of polluting things. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I think that would be a really big, maybe the biggest solution is some way to turn the waste into something that isn't waste anymore. Right. 
Yes, and also uh, to turn the things that we turn into waste, like the packaging and stuff like that, to make that biodegradable. That's a huge part of it also. Because if we just stop producing all the things that last forever and turn into microplastics, and right now and started producing things that were biodegradable, you know, along with our recycling technologies and all that and cleaning technologies for the oceans and rivers, uh, we could probably turn it around at some point in the next decade or two. Well, I think we've talked about Paul Stamets on this website, on this oh, yeah. podcast. I mean, he's amazing. Um, but he, I watched a Ted talks from a bunch of years ago where he's like, we have mushrooms, we have fungi that eat plastic and fucking poop out like something that's not fucking Gold. plastic. No, it's like CO, <laughs> like CO2 or like something that's not great, like methane or something. Like it's not great, but actually you can use that as heat to power a building. Like, like we can like use this and, um, there's also fungi that eats oil. Like if you have an oil spill and it poops out something that's like harmless and it's like, Jesus Christ, Stamets, you could like solve all these problems if we made you king. That's, that'd be yeah. great. If and over, overfishing is a huge problem too. I found out recently that after the Gulf oil spill, two years after the oil spill, there was more wildlife in the Gulf than there was before the oil spill because people hadn't been fishing there. So the people were more toxic to the animal life in the Gulf of Mexico than the oil spill was. Yeah. It goes to show like it's a symphony and it's hard to tell in which way we're fucking up <laughs> the ocean the most, <laughs> which, yep. which way are we fucking it up the most? The oil spill <laughs> was less bad. <laughs> yeah, That's than, how than the fishing, fucked up yep. we are. Mm -hmm. Isn't that crazy? That is, that is quite crazy, sir. Yeah. In Colorado, we just voted to reintroduce wolves, which is cool. Um, we have a ton into of daycares into day, into schools. It's a COVID. It's actually part of the, the cares act. We're trying to sick the dogs on them, so to speak. It was, it was uh, a Trump idea along with the Clorox in the Clorox injections and the UV down the throat was the wolf. It's good. No, but we, um, uh, even I went to like a lecture about it and, and learned all this stuff about like how good it is to reintroduce wolves into the ecosystem. Um, but yeah, they're going to be reintroduced into Western Colorado and it's now going to create this like unbroken chain between the Northern United States. And, and I think like New Mexico already has them in Arizona. And so um, it's this unbroken migration chain now. And it, it's really healthy for like uh, riparian ecosystems, like the areas near rivers um, because they kill particular animals that feed on those particular bushes and it just like makes everything more balanced. Um, so it's, it's, and then I was learning through this that there's something called uh, keystone species and you would like that. You're from the keystone state, but it's just the Ooh, idea that like, put it in. yeah, there are just like, the, it's just the <laughs> idea that like there are certain species of animals that are not more important, but seem to be like more consequential and like they're, they're more dominoes fall if you take more away, connected. yeah, yeah, more dominoes will fall if you take them out than if you took out something else. There may, might be something else that can replace the other things easier or something. And often apex predators fall into this category, which is interesting. Um, so I think wolves are one of those things that they're just like so important. And we just murdered the fuck out of them. We, ex we sent them extinct, you know, in most of the country. 
Yeah, them and the uh, the Buffalo. Yeah. Um, I was re- sorry to ramble. Jesus. Hello. It's that segment. <laughs> it's that segment of the podcast. I was reading this. I was reading slash listening to this book because I, from from my library, I was able to download for free the the ebook and then also the audio book, and I was like switching off. Uh, which I thought you were going to say it's because you have synesthesia. That's right. I can see because I took mushrooms and started reading. <laughs> um, no, but this book is called the the P, uh, the Indigenous People's History of the United States, and God, this woman was talking about how across hundreds of tribes, we had essentially set up um, a network of buffalo that open range buffalo that was like ripe for the killing at all times. Um, and, and Buffalo originally were only native to like the Wyoming area where it is now. And the, 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 the Buffalo people, as they call them, like the great plains people, like the Cheyenne and the Ute, they had these like crazy intricate road networks, like essentially where our highways are now. They had 40 foot wide dirt roads that were well-maintained, like that connected the country. Um, and they would use fire to essentially herd these Buffalo into other areas of the country. And they would manage the, the pop, the livestock population. And then there was Buffalo all over. And that's why Buffalo New York is named that like Buffalo aren't native to there. the fucking indigenous tribes, like, or nations rather, um, got them everywhere through, through like management, like eco management. It's crazy, crazy. Yeah, pretty genius. Humans are pretty smart. Yeah. Yeah, we can do amazing things and terrible things. It's wonderful. I, I think you would like the book. Uh, obviously, you know who Graham Hancock is. I know the name. I don't really know anything about that person. Oh, he's, he's all about um, ancient civilizations and that uh, 11,600 years ago, there was a huge comet impact, and that's the story that all the floods and all the different religions talk about. Ah. Um, and there's like geographical evidence for it and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was like the end of the last ice age. But um, he has a book that he just put out called America Before. And it's just like the history of America before the Native Americans and like everything that, everything that happened that doesn't really get talked about that much. So it might be something right. you'd be interested in. Yeah, that does interest me. I mean, I like people, but I also like things. <laughs> yeah. Nouns in general. Oh man, I love nouns, verbs, adverbs. Whoa, don't go. Oh, don't, don't count me out on the adverbs. <laughs> <laughs> um, going swimmingly. So what else you got? I got some other shit to talk about, but what else you got going on? Um, I will take a moment to hype up my heated sweatshirt that I got, bow, bow, and bow, I will bow. say that it, it is the greatest investment that I've made in quite some time. Uh. It's uh, from a company called Aurora. This is O-R-O-R-O. Um, and I got this on an open box sale. It was $100 for the sweatshirt, and it came, comes with a battery. And the battery can last up to 10 hours on low heat, and low heat is 100 degrees. So it's got a heat pad on my back and a heat pad on my right and left chest, and I can literally have it on all day and just be heated wherever I go. Just have to spread the word because it's, uh, it's amazing. Highly recommend it. So if I buy like eight of them, can I have outdoor Thanksgiving with Eva's family? Yeah, I bought two extra batteries. 
Um, so I could literally high heat is like two and a half hours. So I could literally have 130 degree heat on me at all times for all day with three batteries. That's pretty cool. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's pretty great. Yeah. So I was looking at like heating elements, you know, uh, in case we were going to be hanging outside this winter and this is cool. It's a cool one. Now, how do you, are these rechargeable? Batteries? These are rechargeable batteries. Yep. Rechargeable. Uh, probably takes maybe like five hours to charge it. Yeah. So you use them Something for like a day that. and then charge them and use them the next day, essentially. Yep. Yep. That's fucking great. Yeah. So I got three so that I, I always have, I always have a battery charged up. So like angels just freezing and you're like all toasty. Well, I actually bought this for her, and then she said, "Well, instead of that, can you just give me money to get a tattoo?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's fine." So then I just took this, and she got her uh, tattoo, and uh, nice and toasty. <laughs> it's a win. That's what you call a win-win. <laughs> oh my god, that should, is a win-win. I should get people presents that I want that I know they don't want. Yeah, I'm like, how about you oh, just fantastic. get me? And I'll write like, if you don't want this, I'll take it. And you can just, I'll and you can just, end. yeah. And you can just let me know. I'll get you a gift card or something. You can just get cash back. <laughs> <laughs> like you just make a transaction right there. <laughs> Lick your thumb. Peel off. I think that's a pretty good deal. Like you buy a present that you want, you bring it to the person and say, Hey, you could have this or I can give you the full retail value. That's so, this is like a real like autism spectrum answer to like giving, they're like, but why can't I do that as presents? This is perfectly logical. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful system. I'm down. I'm like a hundred percent down. I mean, there's so much, there's so much equity in what you just said. And also like, you're not wasting stuff, right? Everyone's getting good value. Like here's a, here's a 50 inch 4k HD TV. Retail value, $495. Whoa. You can take the TV or you can take the money. Doop, 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 doop. You start playing a <laughs> timer music. Yeah. Uh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. I think all holidays should be like that from now on. I wonder if, is there a way to like incorporate this into a group activity? Like they have um, Secret Santa and they have like the white elephant. I wonder if there's a way to incorporate this into it and like, or like you, everybody like 10 people bring a present and how much you spent on your present is how much you can take back <laughs> in other people's presents <laughs> or you <laughs> can, something like that. or if somebody likes, or you keep, or if nobody wants your present, you keep it. Or if somebody takes your present, you can demand that they give you, <laughs> <laughs> like half of the value if you don't like the other present. I don't know. <laughs> this could be fun. Yeah. Uh, so if you, you buy the present that you want and then everybody brings the present that they bought for themselves and then you can forcefully purchase that present from the person and they can't deny you. <laughs> I like this. We could... And yeah. then like, if you want to make it sexy, you can have like a strip version. Like everyone brings new clothes <laughs> with the tags on and you can like, I want your shirt. Take it off right now. <laughs> it's always about stripping with you, AJ. I mean, <laughs> you can make strip anything. <laughs> strip, ta- strip taxes. I was just going to say strip taxes. What, what's, yeah. What's the next strip thing you were going to think of on three, one, uh, two, three strip funeral, strip accounting. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you said strip funeral? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's better than strip accounting. Well, yeah, because strip accounting is essentially strip. You know, part of strip accounting is strip taxes once a year. It's a subsidiary. Once of a quarter. Once a quarter. You're, yeah. That's right. A subdivision. A, a subsidiary. That's right. It's all owned by Amazon. What are we kidding? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much Viacom. Dude, fucking Amazon. Get out of here. So uh, here's the thing about Amazon. What's the thing? Is I was buying some pre-workout. I went to bodybuilding.com, a normal spot. They said they couldn't give me, they couldn't send it until next Tuesday. They're like, this coming Tuesday. And this was a couple days ago. It was like five <laughs> days. I go into Amazon and they have next day shipping for free. So it's like, ah, how do you do it? What do I do? Right. No, you, you do you, boo, as the, as the, <laughs> as the kids say. Uh, no kids say that. Let's be honest. No kids say that. Um, yeah, like it's it, when, you're, when, you're, when you're not part of the elite or salariat class. <laughs> love that word. Salarino. Salarino. If you're not a salarino, then. Um, See, it rolls off the tongue better. Salarino. But yeah, I don't think like part of, I mean, part of, I've probably said this on the pod before, but part of being a socialist for me means not expecting individuals to bear the responsibility of like changing society. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like there's a time and place for that. There's like collective action. Like I, I, I do expect that individuals are the only way to change society, honestly, but I don't expect any one individual on any one given day to choose to like sacrifice their own self-interest. You know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a decision for like civil rights leaders and you know, and Edward Snowden. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're, I don't, right. You don't expect everybody to be Edward Snowden or like Rosa Parks. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're, if you're not boycotting Amazon, like you're a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. Got to do what you got to do. Um, I'm I will, I haven't bought anything from Amazon in years because I can, you know? Um, however, if it, if I come across the opportunity where I, where I fucking need something in two days, um, I think the last thing I bought with, with these microphones or like a couple, a couple of these, yeah. One of these microphones, just because I couldn't find it anywhere else. And like the other ones were out of stock and I'm just like, oh, fuck it. I'm just doing it. But uh, yeah, so I'm not. No one, nobody's perfect, right? You just try and try and do what you can. Fucking Amazon. yeah. What happens when Amazon starts doing the the thirty minute drone deliveries? Then we're all screwed. No, we're screwed when Amazon starts um, taking on people's debt and like forcing them to work it off. I don't know if yeah, you saw. Sorry to bother. If you saw, sorry to bother you. Um, I did not. Oh my God, you should see that movie. It's an amazing movie. But yeah, it's about like a large conglomerate corporation that has, um, I forget what they're called, but like they, they have like work towns where like you live on their property and you work in their warehouse uh, because you were in so much debt that you got like evicted from your house and it's either that or homelessness. And it's a really great, like, alternative dystopian present movie. Just watch it. Watch it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not even really that far off from reality at this point. We're all just consumer workers. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna watch that again tonight. I highly. I can't recommend that any higher. Eva does not like that movie, so I have to watch it alone, which is funny. <laughs> I have to watch it alone. I have to watch it in private. Even I do not have the same taste in movies and a lot of music. Have you watched uh, the Social Dilemma? No, no. But I've heard good things, and you might. I I think one of our guests on one of the previous eps mentioned it. Yeah, I, I hear it's it, good. You saw it. It is. It is terrifying. So is it about like um, how we they they funnel us what we want to see and it turns super toxic and we're not prepared? It's, it, it goes beyond that to the algorithms that control everything and basically they like have I don't want to say minds of their own at this point, but like the algorithms just go and yeah. it just does what's most logical for the algorithm. There's no morality. There's no ethics. So what it does is it's all in the in the recommendations. Um, so like they, they gave the, the example of an anti-vax mom. So it's like a a mom who's, who's anti-vax will look up a video about anti-vax and then YouTube's algorithm will then recommend them a video about chemtrails. Mm -hmm. So then they'll watch that video and then it'll recommend a video about flat earth and then Mm -hmm. they'll watch that video. And it's basically just, it puts you into these rabbit holes getting crazier and crazier and crazier until you know, you're at the ultimate conspiracy reptilians ruling the government and all right. that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, but it's, they basically said like the algorithms are pretty much out of control at this point. And it's like, when you open your phone, you're like awakening a supercomputer that mm-hmm. is just completely tailored to getting you to interact with it. So it's like when you open Facebook and scroll down, it's not showing you the next thing that somebody posted. It's showing you, what the algorithm thinks above anything is going to make you click on it mm-hmm. or do something with it. So it's pretty, pretty scary. Yeah. I've said all the time, like that we're cyborgs with our phones. Um, you know, it is an extension of our bodies and this seems like we've added something that is unhealthy. Like it's bad for our psychology. Um, it seems like we added like a dose of schizophrenia or a dose of uh, a personality, some type of personality disorder, you know, something where like you're, you're too obsessed with your own shit kind of thing. Um, and I think that's what that algorithm kind of sounds like to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Don't main sucking us into the virtual world. Uh But I mean, I, I love, I love the internet. It's, you know, it's where completely where I base my business. Yeah. Without the internet, there would be no threestable. There would be no, I mean, there would be time relapse music, but it wouldn't be proliferated, proliferated to the extent that it is. Uh Um, You know, Facebook is free marketing and advertising if you use it right at a small enough scale. So I love Facebook for that. And a lot of people complain about it, but I mean that it just all goes back to personal responsibility. Like if, if you can't handle, it's just like alcohol. Like if every time you drink, you get so completely wasted that you start ruining your life. Like, all right, you are a person that should, should not drink. And that's just the way it is. You know what I mean? Well, it's the same with social, social media. Well, I disagree with you that it's personal responsibility. I've also, what Sam Harris says is uh, taking the red pill on free will. Um, I don't believe in free will. And so I, I don't believe anything is personal responsibility. I, I think, um, I, which is funny because 10 minutes ago I said it's up to personal 
uh, individual people to like change society. But I think that we don't have personal free will, which is a real paradox. But um, like when it comes to like alcoholism or like any kind of drug addiction um, or social media, like Ari Shafir, I, I think it was Ari Shafir, Joe Rogan was saying, um, did an experiment where he started a new YouTube account and just looked at like yep, puppies yep. and all he got was puppies. And I don't think it's like, I think individuals are ill-equipped to individually be able to only select puppies and not select flat earth stuff. And it's up to like individuals to band together to like com socially communicate and like come to a consensus, like try and persuade each other. And when you get more and more people together, there's like a more and more likelihood that like the, the good stuff will bear out if everybody's meeting in good faith. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I'm very optimistic about society, but I, I think that like the social dilemma needs to be solved by like collective action. And I don't, I'm very empathetic towards individuals who are brainwashed or like really fucked up. You know what I mean? It's empathy. I yeah. Think. Yeah. But I don't think people are personally responsible. It's It's weird. It's a weird philosophy I've developed. Yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Um, yeah, I guess I would just say that all co to come together collectively, each person has to kind of agree to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a, becoming increasingly a problem these days. Yep. yep. When when COVID first started, I read that in Sweden and in all the Scandinavian countries, uh, the tr when they it, when they uh, poll people on trustworthiness or trustingness. Um, like the people of Scandinavia are like incredibly trusting in ways that Americans are not. And it's trust of the government, but also trust of each other. And uh, I think that's cultural. Like, I think that goes back 400 years with our traumatized Anglo-Saxon, um, you know, colonial settler history. But yeah, I think like Americans are less trustworthy inherently, which can be interesting and fun and sometimes a good thing, but sometimes a bad thing, you know? Yeah, I think it's because everybody's gotten fucked over by someone in their life. You know what I mean? There's no one who walks through life and like, everyone has treated me great. And nobody is, you know, nobody has put themselves before me and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That erodes every bit of trauma that you receive erodes your faith in humanity, right? And your your mm -hmm. ability to, to forgive and your ability to empathize. I mean, some people are more or less resistant to that, right? Just like with any predisposition. Um, some people can be traumatized throughout their life and still have incredible empathy and love, but it shouldn't be expected. Like most, a lot of people will be worn down by that and traumatized. And, and, um, that's when you, right. You get the, the people who don't trust and, um, uh, going back to that, 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 um, precariat, I think that's what, what the name is the new, the new proletariat class. Going back to that, like there's a deep mistrust or distrust in almost everything amongst a lot of people in that in 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 this part of society. Yeah, I think that everybody just wants to do what we just want to do. You know what I mean? Like you're in your you're in your home, just like talking to a friend. You know, there's no danger. You know, you're safe. You have food, all this kind of stuff. And like I'm in my house, like 
chilling with my cats, you know what I mean, hanging out. Yeah. And like everybody in the world just wants that. And all the wars and everything that go on, that's all, you know, that's all above our pay grade. Yeah. Yeah. And to be riled up about that, um, to be riled up in anything that's not in favor of peace and love um, is to be brainwashed, in my opinion. Like if you fucking have an opinion on the Iraq war, that is anything but like preserving. I don't know. I, I, I can sound like a hypocrite because people will be like, well, you need to like bomb people to preserve peace. And I'm like, eh, I don't think so. But I, yeah, I think that like you said, is above our pay grade. And, um, and I think getting riled up about that stuff is, is not great. And then, I, uh, I think you're right. Like people care about what's going on in their lives. And most people, um, politically make political decisions based on like single issue stuff that like affects them personally. And Uh I read that, um, Trump did really well, uh, amongst like Latinos in Florida. Um, and he did really well amongst people like across the South, um, particularly because they appreciated that a $1,200 check in their pocket with his signature on it. Um, And like the CARES Act was huge, right? Like our economy would be so fucked right now if it wasn't for that. And um, liberals will never give, you know, Trump or anybody any credit. But I think it's important to realize like that that shit was good. Yeah, I think that uh, I heard somebody put it that Trump lies more than any other president, but he's also lied about more than any other president. So it's like everything he does, even when it's good, is spun negatively. And it's like, he just, he just made a whole bunch of peace deals in the middle East. Like it's pretty good. Uh, Those weren't, those actually were fool's gold. Those are bullshit deals. The UA, the United Arab Emirates signing a deal with Israel is like bullshit. And like, um, Somalia or where I forget some African country signing a deal with Israel is like bullshit. They were already working together, trading together in agreement. They had no beefs. Um, I, those were publicity stunts and immediately after they were done, right? Like there was a couple right wing people in Europe who were like, he needs to be nominated for the Nobel prize for this. Like this, it was a coordinated, a a sloppily coordinated because people like me can fucking see right through it. But yeah, I'd be very careful to praise Trump on that. Um, I don't think he's been lied about. I don't think he's been lied about. I think people who think he's been lied about don't, don't understand spin spin is not lying. Like that's a total like, yeah. Newspaper news. The media has spun things since the origin of media. And I was watching an old clip uh, from the origin of slate, the online magazine. And they were talking about like, you'll get, you'll get our spin on things and it's going to be great. And spin used to be like a positive. Cause it would be like, um, like they're, they're journalists, but they can't help but phrase things in a certain way um, and frame things in a certain way. And that's like normal and should be expected. And I don't think that's the same as lying, but anyway, I, I would, I, I want to have more conservatives on this, uh, on this very show so that we can get into it, you know, cause I want to go through it point by point. I don't want to just dismiss it. I think that's unfair. Yeah, I want to yeah. hear out. Yeah. It makes sense. Cause I'm sure there are examples where people have lied about Trump. I'm not going to say that, Trump isn't lied about, you know, that'd be unfair. Yeah. Yeah. What a crazy election this has been. 
holy shit, it's been a crazy election. Yeah, the, the trust has been so eroded. Um, I think I think the Republicans have purposefully eroded, tried to erode people's trust in the process because they think it like helps them out politically. Um, I think that's happened, but it might it may not have. But yeah, the bottom line is I think trust has been eroded, you know, in our system. Yeah, nobody really knows what's going on. It's like there's so many different information sources and the story is always slightly different going from left to right and back again. So like nobody really knows what the truth is. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I can't pretend to fucking know what the truth is. That's for sure. Um, and, and yeah, I, it's, it's so hard for people on the left because you want to dis like people want to dismiss the voter fraud claims. Um, and, and the people on the left don't want to admit that like election security, like should be a big deal. Um, like liberal, like liberals and people on the left don't want to give an inch in terms of their, their, their words. Right. They want to be like super hard line, um, which is misleading. Well, they're trying to they're trying to convince people. You know what I mean? Like, um, when liberals say, I don't know if this is making sense, but <laughs> but I think yeah, liberals should understand that like election security should be a big deal, but they don't want to admit that because they think that that will give Trump more credence. But the thing is, not admitting it might be giving Trump more credence. Like, it's hard to know, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess if, if you're not afraid that there could have been voter fraud, then why why not just allow the recounts just be like, yeah, count them up. You know what I mean? Count them up. Well, they are they are allowing recounts. It's more That's the thing. Like, it's all about the, the messaging. Because they are allowing yeah, yeah. recounts. They are allowing Republicans in the room to watch ballots. But liberals are terrible at messaging, so they don't know how to tell people that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're just insisting that this was the safest election in history and there's no such thing. And they could just be like, <laughs> like, like we don't have to be so, but, but we don't know what the result of, they think that that's better politically. And I, I'm not sure it is. I don't know though. It's hard, hard call. I think it's always better to be open to, to all possibilities. Mm-hmm. Like the way I see it, they're like, Hey, we think there was voter fraud. We want to recount. I'm like, okay. You know, whatever, count them up. Like, I'd rather there be no, like, because whatever happens at the end of this election, if every single route isn't investigated, one of the sides is going to think that they got, like, stolen out of the election. So why not investigate everything, make sure there's no loose ends, and then we know for a fact who the winner is, and you can't have conspiracy theories because, you know, they investigated it. Makes sense. Yeah, like, if, right, if Democrats were, were, I, I like, I think Democrats are confident that they are winning this election fairly, you know, with votes. Mm-hmm. And and since they know that, I think they should be kind of like mimicking what Trump says. Like they should in a way kind of try and steal his message and thus to steal his thunder and be like, "Yeah, we need to get to the bottom of this. Like this is crazy. Like people are voting for with under grandmother's names, like under Trump. People are voting in other states for Biden. Like this is fucking nuts. We need to get to the bottom of this. Make sure every count, every vote's counted. 
and like kind of just change the tone, you know, like still say the same thing, still say every vote count and, and make sure all the absentees are counted or whatever, but, but do it in a way that sounds like you're agreeing with Trump. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that we can't possibly understand the amount of power that that's transferred at these high levels of government, like the amount, uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like in what way transfers of power? It's like the versus the Democrats and the Republicans and like mm. Trump's team versus like Nancy Pelosi and her team. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 Just like bitter, hardcore rivalries. And it's like sports. I mean, there are like hundreds of jobs on the line. Yeah. I mean, like everyone in the Trump administration, like they're probably going to get good jobs. Like, you know, these are elites that they, they're running in elite circles, but like right. they, they are all power hungry and they are all every, like most, I've heard that most people who, everyone who works for Trump is, um, has a lot of personal, um, ambition. They're incredibly personally ambitious. So yeah, like they all, they all want to win. It's a lot on the line, a lot of power. Yeah. And it's like the people who should be in power are the ones who don't want the power. That's right. Right. We need to like, yeah, we need to make Paul Stamets the president. Like, we like need I don't to, want to do it. It's like too bad, Paul, you're doing it. That'd be really, that'd be so interesting. If like the presidency was all about who you were going to pick to be president. <laughs> like, like Joe Biden was like, the kind of person I'm going to pick is like a scientist who owns a cabin in the Pacific Northwest <laughs> and like then, <laughs> then he gets elected and he selects Paul Stamets and you're like, yay. And Trump is like, I'm going to select a businessman from Tennessee who owns a, a fracking company, you know, and like people would vote for him. Yay. <laughs> I think that'd be weird, but <laughs> that was uh, the, uh, the storyline of the movie gladiator with Russell Crowe is that Russell Crowe was this like farmer and then he was taken as a slave and, or no, no, I'm sorry. He was a farmer who was recruited uh, into the army in, was it Rome? And mm-hmm. he was just like a, a genius general. So mm-hmm. he ended up being like general of the whole army and he didn't want to do it. And the emperor Marcus Aurelius was like, too bad you're too good at this. Right. Yeah. I guess that's kind of what Biden did with Kamala Harris, but he, he should have picked like, Elon Musk or like Mark Cuban. Yeah, yeah. But he, yeah, Mark, I, I think Mark Cuban would probably do a decent job. I love Shark Tank. Dude, on, on Twitter, Mark Cuban is so progressive with like what he, what he thinks political systems should be like, which is really cool. Um, I, what if I'll he be, ran in 2024? Would you vote for him? No, no, because Biden, Biden's, <laughs> no, Biden, fuck Mark Cuban. no, because Biden's our president and, um, and but he said he's only going to run one term. Well, he's going to give it to Kamala. No, if listen, if Mark Cuban runs like on a socialist platform as an independent. <sighs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Who's his vice president? <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. What a, I mean, dude, vice president Oprah. I think we're looking at a terrible 10 years, like um, a, a societal decline, a demographic decline. Like I think things are bad, going to be bad. Um, I'm scared. I'm a scared. Under Joe like, Biden specifically or just in general? Just in general, like the, because of our society, because of the lack of trust we have in each other, the, the lack of talking to people on the other side, 
and understanding people on the other side. Um, you know, people who think differently than you and have the distrust in media. And then like, I don't like the race war identity politics. I call it, um, mm-hmm. where the democratic party has stripped out economic populism and is simply going with legal reforms that benefit LGBTQ people and people of color. Um, you know, like anti-discrimination type equality stuff, things that you can get done without spending any money. That's what the democratic party is all about. We'll do fucking anything that you want that doesn't cost money because we are neoliberal hacks who are owned by large corporations. You know what I mean? Like we'll pay lip service. Yeah, definitely. We'll pay lip service to like the top 10%. I thought this was interesting. I'm going to go on another rant. Um, Obama's tax plan had taxes going up for, for people making over a quarter of a million dollars. Um, whereas Biden's plan has taxes going up for people making over $400,000. And so there's a difference between quarter of a million and 400,000 that, that happened between Obama's tax plan and Biden's tax plan. And that difference is that people making that much now vote for Biden. Like people making quarter of a million dollars used to vote Republican. And now these like cultural elites, um, these like suburban white women, you know, are all going for, for Biden now because they don't give a shit about economic reforms. They only care that their LGBTQ kid, you know, isn't discriminated against and more power to them. But, but I don't think you should ignore economic populism rant over. Yeah. I mean, if the whole thing crumbles down, it doesn't matter what color you are. (laughs) That's right. And I said, I said, if you, if you did an experiment where you, uh, painted everybody who's poor purple, and then we just played out the next 50 years, you would see very little purple people elevating above poverty. And you would say that the system is racist against purple people. And it's like, no, you idiot. The system is not racist. The system is fucking corrupt against poor people. It just so happens that the poor people are the same color. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, relative poverty is way different than actual poverty. Like if you live in America, you're in the top 1% of the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You have people exploited much worse than we are. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Getting like a dollar a day. Yeah. I was, yeah. Noam Chomsky was saying like, we have the most inequality we've ever had, but it's because we have super, super wealth. Um, like we used to have worse poverty or more widespread. Yeah. We used to have more widespread poverty. Now we have more, you know, just getting by, debt slavery paycheck to paycheck yeah yeah that that pre 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 precariat class yeah we have more of that that un, super unstable sort of lifestyle yeah i mean i work i have like five different jobs that i do to make money you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's not like my dad went to college and got out of college became a mortgage banker and he's been a mortgage banker for you know 35 years or whatever it is mm-hmm. like my mom was a teacher for 20 whatever years. It's just not like that anymore. Even teachers, you know, they'll teach at one, one place and go to another place and do something different, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the middle, the middle class, the old middle class is not as robust as like you're describing all those people that used to be part of that, like giant middle class. And it's, it's been, it's been shrunk, shrank, shrink. Yeah. And, I mean, we have the comforts that we can acquire at low prices are pretty ridiculous. I mean, 
there's nothing in my house that was so expensive that I, you know, would like be able to sell it in a pinch. You know what I mean? Like I have a TV, it's like, you know, like a 50 inch TV, it's like two and a half years old. And you mm-hmm. know what I mean? You could get a 50 inch TV at Walmart right now for like 300 bucks or 350 or some TV prices are so low. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It um, seems like a paradox. So, I mean, all- yeah. You have these great consumer goods that are accessible. Yeah, like my computer that I have, I have a, you know, $500 laptop and it's touchscreen and I have internet that I get for, you know, 80 bucks a month and I can just see all the information that's ever been created by mankind. And (laughs) right, right. And it's like we were saying before, like, would you rather live as one of the Rockefellers in the 20s or live as like someone like us in 2020? 100 years later. Uh, That is a tough one. And the fact that it's a toss up, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. It could go either way. Like you could be super rich in the twenties, but you're going to smell like shit half the time. No, I think people, I think having your basic needs met, like I think not, I think not having economic anxiety is the greatest relief that you can, it's one of the greatest reliefs you can have. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like not being, I think not being worried about it is, is worth it. Now, if you told me like 1620, eh, like, like them motherfuckers didn't have ice cream if you didn't live near the Alps. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Romans had ice cream since I think like Jesus times because they would just truck down snow from the Alps and figure it out. But um, what's like the minimum year that you would go back to and be able to live? Like, I probably wouldn't want to go back into the 1800s, really. Right. Louis C.K. had a funny joke. He was like, if you're a black guy, nothing before 1980 what they would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know what time because sugar wasn't, you know, widely available before the like transatlantic slave trade. <laughs> and so it's like, uh, the world is an awful place. Lee. Like, honestly, the world fucking sucks. Like if you're a Rockefeller in the twenties, that means you're exploiting thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. You're just treating yep. people awfully. And if you, if you have the luxury of having sugar in the, in the 1600s, you're just like, you're just participating actively in global slavery. Like it, the world fucking blows. And then like, this is where I disagree with conspiracy theorists and I disagree with mainstream non-conspiracy theorists. Like when you take something like Jeffrey Epstein, a conspiracy theorist will be like, see, this is proof of like a highly coordinated global network of elites abusing normal people, you know? Um, And I disagree with that because I don't think it's highly coordinated. I think it's loosely coordinated at best, you know? Um, Yeah. Sure. Epstein coordinated with, with princes in the UK and, and Clinton and stuff, but I don't think it was highly coordinated and it was more like, just basic psychology of like he, they're, they're scumbags who, who like who were sex criminals and there were non-sex criminals who enabled them because people wanted to get rich or whatever, you know, around them. Um, and it's basic psychology. But the thing is the mainstream non-conspiracy theorists, like the ma- mainstream media, they'll net, they would never admit that there was any coordinated elite exploitation of normal people. You know what I mean? Like they refuse to acknowledge that like <laughs> what they're elites. How could, how po- could elites possibly exploit us? Elites are our, our leaders, our overlords. Like they would never do something like that. Like that's how I feel 
mainstream people talk. And it's like, no, you dummy. Both are, you're both wrong and you're both kind of right, but you're both wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Society is, uh, it's, it's in a rough spot right now. Which way is it going to go? Well, listen, I got, I got one more rough spot here that I wanted to bring up to you. Um, I live in Denver and every year over the past five years, since I've lived here, the homeless population's gotten more and more. And it's like creeped in closer. I mean, when I moved in, I moved in next to homeless shelters. So I'm I like, I knew what I was getting into, but now I live farther away from the homeless shelters and, and the homeless people are just more and more. And they're now on my block. And, um, what the city of Denver is doing is creating these safe open spaces, which I'm like really uh, supportive of, which is these fenced in, uh, or cordoned off parking lots of churches and, and areas uh, like parks around the city where homeless people can live, um, and not have their stuff fucked with. And there's 24 seven security. And because it's winter and COVID, like it's, it's like there's social distancing and you don't have to get moved around. We used to have homeless sweeps around the city, um, moving people around for no reason. And so I love this, but, um, there are my neighbors in this condo building that even I own. These neighbors are what we call NIMBYs, not in my backyarders. And so these, nim <laughs> these NIMBYs put up this sign, like we need to have a meeting tonight to talk about this, like meet me in the hallway <laughs> was the, was the sign so that we can talk about Denver safe open spaces and how we are against this because it's raising our property values and we need to sue. We need to like sue the city of Denver and we need our HOA to sue because our property values are going down and, and this is going to make it worse. So I go to this meeting and, um, and, and there was like maybe four people who were, not in favor of the safe open space going up. Um, Out of how many people? Eva and I were the only ones in support of it. So there's six of us, I think. Okay. And, um, and there's going to be more, like we're doing community meetings, uh, like the, the nonprofit that's, or that's running, that's going to be running these is doing a meeting with the city of Denver next week that we're all going to be on. So this was just a little impromptu thing, but um, I think, the thing is we already have hundreds of homeless people all around us. And so creating a safe open space doesn't, will not change the amount of homeless people because we already have them. Um, they may think that homeless people that like people, there will be more, which we disagree with. But um, the other thing is, the safe open spaces are like guarded 24 seven and, and, and there's going to be like uh, needle cleanups and uh, it's just going to be like more sanitary and it's going to be like better than what we currently have. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing is they're arguing property values are going down and it just so happens Eva and I just got an appraisal on our condo and we had to get one last year for insurance reasons. And we also had to get one when we bought the place two years ago. So we have, three appraisals from three straight years and our, the value of our condo has gone up significantly every year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And the homeless population has also gone up outside our building every year. So like we have clear evidence that like there is no correlation currently between home value and the fact that there are homeless people outside, which is great, great point for us. But um, yeah, I just think it's uh, it's quite ridiculous. Any thoughts on this? 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, it's not cheap to have a house or an apartment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Money, money's money. And if you don't have a high enough paying job and you can't make ends meet, you're going to get kicked out of your place and then you're, you're homeless. You know what I mean? It's, it's not so much a label as like that as a homeless person. It's like, this is a person who doesn't have enough money to afford a personal domicile. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so weird how that's how I approach it. I'm, I'm thinking about these people as like people, like <laughs> people with like emotions, you know, and like thoughts and memories and plans. And like my neighbors are thinking of these people as like objects. Like a herd of buffalo. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're thinking of them. They're talking about them like objects and like, they're just like othering these people. And I'm like, man, do you, is this how you think about like store clerks and like, your neighbors like this is so it was so like dehumanizing to like Mm -hmm. experience this and they're like oh and they're using drug they're choosing to they'd rather use drugs and go into a shelter and i'm like this is like so i can't believe i'm hearing this and um and so we talk about logistics you know it's logistically there's nothing we already have homeless people and this is safer but i get into I get into like more personal and like moral things. Cause I think it's important for them to know. And I'm just like, these are neighbors, like whether they paid $0 for where they live or a half a million, like they're our neighbors and they live next to us. And like, I don't know. I, I want to go to them with fucking pie and be like, welcome. Here's where I live. Uh, subtext being, you're not going to break in here. Cause I fucking brought you pie. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> yes. simple equation. I think the coming uh, decriminalization of all drugs is going to help with uh, togetherness. I mean, if there was a place you could go to smoke weed and they had like, you know, live music and like cool posters on the wall, you just chill out and smoke a pre-rolled joint that you can buy at the counter, just kind of hang out, listen to music. I think, you know, I, I don't drink, so I don't go to bars Yeah, and I'm, I don't really like being around super drunk people that much at this point in my life. Yeah. I just like calmness. Uh, <laughs> sure. So if I could go somewhere that would, you know, promote calmness instead of promoting, you know, let loose and like, woo, you know? Yeah. I think Denver, I think that's a good way. I think Denver protests have been a lot more chill because partly because like everybody gets high here. Not everybody, but a lot of people do. Um, yeah. also De- Denver just has like a chill vibe. Oh, like regardless of weed, but I think our protests were less violent. Um, uh, last weekend I was going to see a celebrate Biden celebrations that were being met by Trump protests and, or Trump, what you know, counter, whatever that what you call them. And people are yelling at each other, but I'm like, this seems good. Like this doesn't seem like it's going to, it's escalating. Like people seem chill. And I'm like, I bet fucking half the Biden people are high. And honestly, I bet half the Trump. Yeah, yeah. People, I bet half the Trump people are high too. Like, I, I think everyone's kind of, kind of chill, <laughs> just good. Well, there's two ways you can. There's two ways you can approach a protest. You can either look at it like a like a sports game kind of mentality, where it's like, yeah, I can like hate the other team, but only to a certain level because it's just a game. Mm. And then there's the civil war mentality, like I will tolerate the other side until they cross a line, and then I'm taking over. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, they were the the Trump people were yell, like yelling, real serious stuff. You know, like you're you're gonna be owned by China, and like they they believe that. Like they they really are afraid of where our country's going. So, 
you know, I definitely appreciate that. I just, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, I get it. You might want to, you might want to kill me. <laughs> I'm totally empathetic to your desire to possibly want to kill me. To murder me. I, yeah, I've become much more empathetic towards, towards people who think differently than me, to be honest, uh, since the COVID started. I've also meditated on it, which has helped. Um, just make me more empathetic, but uh, cause I'm like, ah, I can't, I, I sometimes feel the same way about you. So, you know, gotta have empathy. Yeah, um, absolutely. Step beyond the ego. Mm-hmm. So one, you know, my, my neighbors are concerned about our property values going down. And I didn't say this to them cause I just thought of it t- today or yesterday. I was thinking like, so in their minds, and this is how everybody thinks unless you learn about psychology and you maybe start to change your bias, but I think everybody inherently thinks that if things go right, you give yourself credit and 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 you think that you are the reason that things went right. And if things go wrong, you're going to not take responsibility and blame yourself. You're going to be more likely to be like, actually this happened and that happened and the circumstances weren't right. Right. Isn't that natural and human? Yep. That has a name. I forget what the name is. See, this is, and this is what I say about the founding fathers all the time. They were really smart, inspired by enlightened philosophers, but they were, they lived about a hundred years before Freud and they really didn't know about psychology. So they didn't understand like projection and denial and that's why they could they could write all men are created equal by own, while owning them. Um, so anyway, yeah, there's a name for this. When things go your way, you think it's because of you. And when things don't go your way, you don't think it's because of you. And that's how these property value people are thinking. They're thinking that if their property value goes up, guess what? You made a good investment. You're a fucking genius. <laughs> but if your property value went down... Guess what? These fucking homeless drug addicts are coming in and it's like, dude, are you fucking serious? Like, and, (laughs) and, and this is why I, and this is another reason it's great to believe that there's no free will. Like, I think either way, neighbor, it's not your fault. Like you, if your property value goes up, that had nothing to do with you. You were, I was, you know, I, 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 I was born into a situation that allowed me to accumulate money. And I think it's my environment. And so if this property value goes down, it's God's will. Say la vie, you know, uh, it was meant to be, and it had nothing to do with, with you personally. So I think it's ridiculous that these people are like my property value, my, my smart investment is being ruined by the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess you kind of have to zoom out. And realize that, like, this is just a moment in time, like our civilization. So, like, blink your eye and you were bo- you're born in, like, ancient Egypt or you're born in, like, Rome or you're born, like, 10,000 years ago or, you know what I mean, or you're born 100,000 years ago because it was still anatomically modern humans 100,000 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, you know what I mean? And you're just born into this society and then you just are that. And... Yeah. That's just... Yeah. Yeah. I didn't pick my, didn't, I didn't pick my parents. I didn't pick my school. And yeah, that's also why I'm so empathetic to what he's saying. Like he didn't choose his thoughts and, and he didn't choose to think this way. In my opinion. Um, I think it was open, Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer's one of those guys. He, there was some phrase or some quote that was like, you can, you can do what you will, but you can't will what you will. 
you can't really control yeah. that part of you. Um, and, and also going back to what you were saying before is like people care about what's going on in their personal life, what's going on around them. I have a lot of empathy for my neighbors who were maybe like 60 years old and ready to retire and being like, I, I fucking need this house to have equity. Like I need, I can't have this house go to shit. This is my retirement plan. Like I care about my personal life. I don't want to be destitute. So I have a lot of empathy for that too. It's like, I can't discount that these people have also have personal problems and priorities and concerns, you know, even if you do have own a condo. That's like you were saying financial freedom is like the, the baseline of, you know, feeling comfortable in your life. If you don't have to, if you're not immediately worried about where your next paycheck is coming from, that's just a level of comfort that a lot of people don't and may never have. (laughs) Yeah. That's like why we have America. Like we, we, people will murder, people will commit genocide just so that they can be comfortable. You know what I mean? Like we had Scots Irish people come here fucking bloodthirsty because the British empire was like, you want your piece of land? Go get it. Go get your scalp and you'll get your 30 acres. And that's what happened. People were like, I will do anything for, for being a, to be a part of the elite. Yeah. To be able to buy cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. It's pretty much it. I just want to buy cool stuff. No, it's really, like this no, horse? it's no, That's it's a cool horse. No, it's honestly not. I don't think it is. I think the cool stuff is a distraction. Like the cool stuff's for us, like normal people, like the precariat, like, uh, like, yeah, when you're rich, you get more cool stuff, but what you get is security. What you get is safety. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that you get four jets. Safety is just the ability to enjoy your cool stuff. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, like four jet skis are great, but if you're going to get stabbed over them, that's no (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, you're paying for that comfort to know that, like, your family's safe and that, like, I I really think that's that's what humans care about. And, And we are, it's like a lower fucking brain distraction to be shoved, shoved up with iPads. Yeah. I mean, I, I have no problem admitting that I'm as addicted to technology as everybody else is. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I play my video games and I scroll through Facebook and, you know, I watch my stories on the TV <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I know, you know, but if I was living in 1901, instead of doing that, I would be like farming or whatever I would be doing and, and, you know, be destitute and, just be farming every day and wake up at the sunrise and farm all day and go to sleep when the sun sets and do it all again Yeah, for basically my entire life and have kids. And I mean, so uh, I, c- I can't imagine a more awesome future society that we live in. You know what I mean? Like obviously it has its problems, but obviously there's a lot working correctly. If we can have this conversation over zoom call, like in front of my electric fireplace yeah, with but- your like microphone and, yeah, but we'd both we would both rather have healthcare than than Zoom chat. Like because Yeah, I think because people used to commit genocide just for comfort of like knowing your family's secure. Um and and like you were saying like 100 years ago you would have been working on a farm. Like I think 100 years ago, like if you went back 100 years and you asked someone, would you rather have the internet and an iPad, you know, and all this shit or would you rather have uh the ability to like not be in physical pain from a health ailment, they would be like, are you fucking kidding? Like, I don't fuck your iPad. I don't need, I don't need Ozark. You know what I mean? Season three. 
<laughs> like I need. But I don't think that I don't. I don't think that our current state of health is just due to healthcare. I mean, there's the the plumbing systems that take the shit away from us, you know, to keep those diseases at bay. There's the water system that is filtered that comes directly out of our tap. It doesn't have you know, brain eating amoebas in it most yeah. of the time. Well, but I'm saying if, if they, if you gave them the choice, if they're like, you had all that, but you can have iPads and the internet or you can have healthcare. Like I think they'd choose healthcare. And I think it's fucked up in today's society where we are afraid of socialism because it means we might not have as much consumer, cheap consumer products to choose from. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's like, I don't have healthcare right now, but I do have the internet and a phone and a computer. So if you gave me the choice of having free healthcare and, and somebody taking away my computer and my internet or having my internet and computer and not having free healthcare, which is the situation I live in now. It's tough. I mean, yeah, I would probably, I would, yeah, I would take the technology, you know what I mean? And just try to be as healthy as possible, which is exactly what I do. I try to eat super healthy, work out every day, all that kind of stuff. That's a tough decision. Especially in a pandemic. In a pandemic, it's a really tough decision. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, depression has gone up during the pandemic and suicides have gone up. Mm -hmm. And it's like, do these people not have internet? Maybe you should get them some free internet. Okay, I'll say, okay, maybe I should add universal basic income plus free healthcare. Because the internet is so sweet. Like, yeah, I'm talking about total comfort. I'm talking about, like, like, freedom from want. You know what I mean? Um, like having like a 3d printer and just being able to make all your shit at home. Everything you need, I guess nothing like, yeah, I just, I just think that we, we undervalue basic necessities in life and we like way overvalue comfort, entertainment, luxury comforts. Yeah. Yeah. And entertainment. Um, yep. And so like, cause we live in a toxic society. I'm sure you can agree on. So like that's, I think it's toxic to like constant. I mean, as a Buddhist, I think everything's a distraction. So I see, technology and entertainment as a distraction and what is truly fulfilling in life is, is understanding the the reality of the universe, you know, tripping on mushrooms and like being able to understand consciousness in a different way. And then, and then coming back and spending time with loved ones and like eating good food. And it's like, that's, that's the good stuff. You know, uh, you don't really need jet skis if you have that other stuff. And then you also have (laughs) free healthcare. Yeah. But the jet skis help. Yeah. It's nice to think about the utopia. In college, I used to think about what a utopian society was like. In our political philosophy class, our, our professor gave us a, a an assignment, which was like create your ideal form of government. And I just went a step further and created my ideal society. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. I don't think a lot of people do that, but it was fun. And I was like, okay, every society of 300 people, every community gets an airplane or, or like every there's like 10 communities together that share an airplane. And so each little 300 member like neighborhood gets to use the airplane for like a month. And you have to decide as a community of the 300 people where you want to go for that month. <laughs> and like, I thought it'd be fun. It's fun to daydream, especially cause the real world is such shit. Yeah. I mean, do you, I feel like the story of the matrix, the movie where humans are being used as like batteries basically. And everyone's in a virtual reality simulation. I mean, it's not such a bad deal. It's not that much different to how it would be normally. No, it's not bad at all. If, if, if there's um, 
like, you know, economic equality and like, like if society is functioning in this matrix world, you could fucking harvest my organs all day. Are you kidding me? Especially, yeah, if, why not? especially if you can alter how time moves, like let's say, um, uh, like two years in this incubator stew pod that you have is equivalent to 30 years of life in the dream matrix, then sign me the fuck up. I'll take 30 or 60 years or whatever of like awesome, well-functioning society than, uh, than that wet cave that they all had to live in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that was a nice theme of the movie. Um, but, uh, the, yeah. whole, the whole thing about being in the matrix is that people couldn't know that they were in it. Otherwise it wouldn't work. So while you're in it, you can't, you can't know that you're in it. So basically you're just in this dream state world, virtual world. And you think it's real. It's no different. It's completely the same as what's going on now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, it. the matrix was better. Like this is how I would have negotiated. I would have tried really hard to negotiate with the machines. Like, can you just, can you just make the matrix better? Like, like this is, yeah. My gripe is not to like end this, <laughs> just make it better. Why so was that, that never that, discussed? That was what he said. He said there were five different uh, iterations of the matrix. They tried to make it a utopia, right. but the human mind, like it wouldn't take. So they had to basically make it real. Right. Okay. I think we talked about this before because my response is keep fucking trying. Five is not, <laughs> like, try. How about 2,500? Try that. I'm, like you should know enough about statistics. You're goddamn machines. You need a sample size of like at least 200. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unbelievable. So goddamn machines. <laughs> well, listen, I'm hungry. I want to go eat, but what else you got? You got anything else for this app? Ooh, I feel like that was a pretty good, uh, smorgasbord. Ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Someone say steak. <laughs> what is that from? Uh, that's from Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. <laughs> that's right. I bet I bet that movie has not aged well. I don't know. I no, feel I like there's so. a lot of... Rob Schneider is a stapler. It's like, yeah, it's probably like a lot of heteronormative, like... Well, also most comedies before like 2015 even, 2014 had a lot of, you know, you know why I know you're gay? Ha ha ha, it's funny you're gay, you know? So, yeah. Like, we've come a long way and also society is burning, so... Who knows? Yeah. So it's a, it's a give and take. <laughs> it's the give and take. <laughs> it is. All right. Well, let's do this again soon. How about that? Deal. All right. All right. Well, uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to play your song to, uh, to, to play us out here. So that sound good. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, uh, for Lee and for me, this has been the unnecessary podcast. We're going to, come out with the indestructible machines is that the name lee the indestructible indestructible machine yes nice all right well thanks for listening everybody till next time